It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Resurrection is my favorite Christian celebration, and the reason why it's my favorite is because of its great importance, not only to what we believe, but to our Christian life in general, and you know, it's really the, the foundation of all we believe, and without it, everything that we hold to ultimately crumbles, and so every year we take time to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, and we remind ourselves of the importance and the significance of all that he has accomplished for us, and this is something that we did last week as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus together, but you know, something important to understand understand is, you know, the significance of the resurrection is, is even greater than the fact that Jesus conquered death. It's even greater than the fact that it proved that Jesus is God. The significance of the resurrection is also seen in a deep personal impact that it has on all those who place their trust in Jesus. You see, there's two important things that we need to understand about how the resurrection personally should impact you and I. And those two things are how we are connected to the resurrection and how the resurrection should change our life. And because those two things are so important, before we continue on in our study through the uh, Hebrews, I want to just take some time this morning and look at the significance of our connection to the resurrection. But more importantly than that, how should it change our life? You know, as we celebrate it and we look and we sing songs and and we come together and we take communion and, and we look at what Jesus did, those are all great things, but really, how should it impact you? How should it impact me? How should it change the way in which we live? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And in these verses, we're going to see our connection to the resurrection. But even more significantly, we're going to be shown ways in which we should change because of the wonderful power of the resurrection that's in you and in me. And I really believe that this is one of the best God-honoring ways to celebrate the resurrection. You know, more than singing songs, more than remembering through communion, more than gathering as a fellowship, I believe the most God-honoring way that we can celebrate is through a changed life that becomes more like Jesus Christ. And so we'll look this morning at our connection to the resurrection, how it should change our life, but really, ultimately, that we want to then leave here seeking to have the Lord help us make those changes personally. And so let's see what we can learn here from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which says this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." 
Paul is the author of Colossians, and he starts off with a very important statement that reminds us of our connection to the resurrection. And that statement is, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, the statement that Paul is making here is really pointing back to something that he already has said in chapter 2, and he's kind of reminding his audience, remember what I said in chapter 2, and then he makes this statement, well, if then you were raised with Christ, and so let's look at what he said in chapter 2 to kind of understand his point here. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Something important for us to understand is that before we accepted Christ, the Bible's very clear, we were dead in our sins. We were slaves to our sin, and we live to please our sinful flesh. But when we accepted Jesus Christ, we were forgiven of our sins, and we died to that sinful way of life. Not only did we die to our old sinful life, we were also raised with Christ to live a new life. No longer a life lived after the desires of our flesh, but a life lived after the will of of Jesus Christ to glorify Him. So in chapter 2, Paul tells us, hey, everyone who places their faith in Jesus, they're raised with Jesus. And then here at the start of chapter 3, he says, if then you were raised with Christ. Meaning, if you're someone who has placed your faith in Jesus, then you have been raised with Christ. Meaning that there should be a change. A change from what you were before you accepted Christ to now what you are after accepting Christ. And since you and I are raised with Christ, it's a change the way in which we live. Now, Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 6 something very similar to this in verse 4. He said, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, baptisms are, are a wonderful thing to be a part of and to watch, but they're very symbolic. And, and Paul is speaking of the symbolism of baptism and saying, hey, you know what? When you go under the water, it's symbolic of your old life, that old sinful life being buried and being dead. And then as you come out of the water, it's symbolic of this new, raised, resurrected life that is to no longer live for what you used to live because that's dead. You now are living for something new. You're now living for Jesus. You know, before you and I accepted Christ, all we really lived for was ourselves. All we really lived for was to indulge our sinful desires. But now that we've accepted Jesus, there should be a significant change. That we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for sinful pleasures. But now we live for God. You see, when we accepted Jesus, it brought a connection to the resurrection, the resurrection power that should change us. And that's why Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he starts, if then you were raised with Christ. 
And then he goes on to share four ways that you and I should change. If if it's true, you've put your trust in Jesus, then you've been raised with him. The power of his resurrection is within you. And that should cause you to have four significant changes in your life. And the four changes that that Paul is going to address in these verses is that first we needed a new direction. Second, a change in a new mind. Third, change in a new life. And fourth, change in a new hope. So since we've been raised with Christ, when we put our faith in Him, the first thing that we should have is this new, wonderful direction. And this is what Paul speaks of in verse 1. He says this, Seeking those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The new direction that we should seek is determined ultimately by what you're seeking. And this Greek word translated seek means to seek in order to find, to intensely search for something, to strive after, to try and obtain. And the way in which this word is used is speaking of a continual action. So it's not saying, you know, you just seek once. It's saying keep seeking. That's what you should do. Continually seek. And notice how Paul tells us to seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The things that we should be seeking for, the things that we should be striving for, the things that we should be trying to obtain are those things in heaven where Christ is right now seated on the throne of God. Now notice this interesting connection with Jesus that Paul shares. He says, we were raised with Christ and you also need to seek the things where Christ is at right now in heaven, seated on the throne of God. You see, after Jesus died on the cross, three days later, he was raised from the dead. And 40 days after that, Jesus ascended and went back to heaven. And that is where he is now at the right hand of the Father. And we know that we have this connection to Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. But you know what? We also have a connection with Jesus' ascension into heaven. And that connection is really in two different ways. The first way is what we're going to look at at the end here this morning in verse 4, which is the hope that you and I are also one day going to ascend to heaven just as Jesus did. And the second way we are connected to Jesus' ascension to heaven is ultimately because we are connected to Jesus. So wherever Jesus goes... That connection that we have with Him goes there. So if He's here, our connection's here. If He's in heaven, we're going to connect to Him where He's at. And that's why Paul says, since you and I were raised with Jesus, we need to now seek the things where Jesus is at in heaven. Because of our connection with Jesus, we should seek after things where Jesus is. You see, before we accepted Jesus, we we sought things here on this earth. We wanted to fulfill the desires and the pleasures that this world offers. And now there needs to be this change. And the change is I should be seeking things no longer here. I should be seeking things where the one who raised himself and gives me power and forgiveness, I should be seeking things where he is in heaven. Jesus speaks of the same thing in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. He says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, or speaking of unbelievers, 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice Jesus saying, hey, don't worry about and seek after what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Yeah, that's what the ungodly world ultimately just seeks. All the things that are here in this world, that's all they're concerned about. But Jesus says, you know what you need to seek first? The kingdom of God. Seek first His righteousness. And then notice what He says, and then God will add all the things that you need to you. And since it's a different mindset, the world seeks first all the things that are here, and as believers, God says, no, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the things of heaven, and I will take care of you and the things that you need here on this earth. You know, when I think of this word seek, to seek in order to find, to intensely search for something, to to try and obtain it, the thing that comes to my mind is treasure. Oh, we want to seek and search for and find treasure. And there's so many pirate movies and other movies where people are seeking to find treasure. But you know what we treasure are the things that we intensely search for. And there are two main types of treasures that we can seek after, that we can search for, that we can try to find. First, there are treasures in heaven. And second, there are treasures here on this earth. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what treasure are we seeking after? Well, once again, Jesus, he tells us the treasure we should seek after. In Matthew 6, 19-21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, where should we store up, lay up, seek after? What treasures should we be pursuing? Jesus says, oh, don't don't store up treasures here on earth. Well, why not, Jesus? Well, they're temporary. They can be taken from you. Moths will eat them. They can be stolen. They'll be destroyed. They'll rust out. Store up treasures in heaven where they're eternal, where they're never going to be destroyed, and no one's ever going to take them from you. And something very important to understand about what you and I treasure, what you and I seek after. Jesus gives us an important truth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what you treasure reveals where your heart is at. Your heart always follows that which you treasure most. So you can't treasure one thing and have your heart follow after Another thing, it doesn't work that way. Jesus makes that very clear in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, many Christians deceive themselves into thinking that they can treasure and pursue the things of the world and still have a heart for God. And it's just not true. Jesus makes it very clear. You know what? If you're going to treasure and pursue the things of the world, your heart is going to be for the things of the world. You're not going to have a heart for God. You want to have a heart for God? Then you need to seek after and pursue treasures in heaven, the things of heaven. What you treasure most is what you'll seek after most, and it's where your heart will be. 
So if you want a heart after God, treasure the things of God. Seek God first. Seek treasures in heaven. But, but what does that mean? And when we hear, you know, don't store up treasures on earth, and we know what the treasures on earth are like. We, we understand that, but what does it mean? How do we store up treasures in heaven? John Lightfoot, I think, is a great answer to that question. Practically, to seek the things above involves giving your attention to Jesus, giving Him first place in everything, giving Him priority, desiring Him above anything on earth, continually making a deliberate choice to follow Him, to obey Him, to think about Him, to meditate on His life, giving word in order to find Him. We are not to be seeking heavenly geography, but the one who dwells there. Now, I agree with what John Lightfoot says here. When Paul says to seek the things above, ultimately he's saying seek Jesus. And everything, seek Jesus. Seek His will, seek to obey Him, seek to please Him, seek to become more like Him. Because we're not seeking heavenly geography, we're seeking Jesus, the one who dwells there. Now the question we need to personally ask ourselves is what am I seeking? Am I seeking the treasures of this world? Or am I seeking the things of God. And if you want to do a simple test to help you determine what you're sinking, look at your bank account and look at your calendar. Those are two of the best ways to determine because how you spend your money and how you spend your time are some of the best ways to determine what am I truly seeking? Because as Christians, we want to say, oh yeah, I'm seeking God. But if you're spending your money completely on the things of the world and you're spending all your time pursuing that, guess what? That's not what you're seeking. You're not seeking God. How you spend your money and your time will reveal that to you. Oscar Wilde wrote this, We live in a world that knows the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. I think that's such an accurate statement about our world today. Our world doesn't know what's truly valuable. You see that in so many different ways, so many different areas, especially just within human life. And sometimes as believers, we get caught up believing in the world's value system. When we do that, we miss out on what is truly valuable to the Lord, which is what is truly valuable. So the first way that we should change because we've been raised with Christ is we need a new direction that seeks the things of Christ, not the things of the world. What you seek after is going to greatly influence the direction you're going to go in in life. And if you want to be going in a direction that God wants you to go, you need to seek after the things of God. Because if you're seeking after the things of the world, you're never going to be going in the direction that God wants you to be going. The second way our life should change since we have been raised with Christ is in verse 2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So the second thing that needs to change in our life is that we need a change in what we set our mind on. The Greek word here translated set means to firmly fix, to become um, permanent, to solidify. You know, today we would say that the concrete set, meaning it was hardened, it was firmly fixed. Paul is saying that our minds need to be firmly fixed. They need to be permanently focused on things above, on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Paul has basically given us the same challenge he just did, but the focus is different. Now the focus is on our mind. 
He's saying that you and I need our minds to be firmly fixed on heavenly things, on the things of God, on Jesus. Since we've been raised with Christ, we need a new mind that no longer fixes itself on the things of this world. We need a mind that now fixes itself on the things of God. You know, I think something important for us to understand is that our minds are the starting point for everything that we do. You know, before we act, hopefully, we think, and usually then we determine through our thought process what we're going to do, and then we do it. And so it's that battleground, that starting point. And if we lose the battle in the mind, then you can never be victorious in the way in which you act and live. And so it starts there, and so we need to be seeking with our minds the things of God, the things of heaven, if we want to act the way that God wants us to act. Every day, you and I have a choice. We have a choice to make concerning what are we going to fix our mind on? Are we going to fix it on the things of this world? Or are we going to fix it on the things of God? If your mind's fixed on worldly things, if you're thinking about them and focusing on them and, and constantly allowing them into your mind, you're going to act like worldly things that you fix your mind on. But if your mind's fixed on godly things, you, you think about those godly things, you focus on those godly things, you're going to start acting like those things that you focus on. You know, it's like when someone first falls in love, their thoughts are, are continually focused on that person that they have fallen in love with. They think about them throughout the day. They think about them before they go to bed at night. And even when they have a, a free moment, that, that thought process is now on that individual and after spending hours together, the first thing they do when they get home is they call them and they talk with them for even more time. And we need to be so in love with Jesus that that's who we think about all the time. But I got a free moment. I want to think about the love of my life, Jesus Christ. I want to focus on Him. John MacArthur wrote this, The believer's whole disposition should orient itself towards heaven just as a compass needle orients itself towards the north. To be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there and has his purposes, plans, provisions, and power. But let's face it, this is often not our experience. We have things turned around. Our focus is on the next appointment, our next purchase, our next promotion, our physical bodies, our material possessions, our bank accounts. We have it backwards. And this is why Paul gives us this command. Our thoughts should be preoccupied. They should be focused on Jesus. But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes that's not the case. Oftentimes our thoughts are consumed with the things of this world, not the things of Jesus. Now don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that we should never think about the things of this earth. Ultimately what he's saying is it shouldn't be our aim. It shouldn't be our goal. It shouldn't be our master. You know, there are practical things that we do have to think about, but that shouldn't be what drives our life. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that secondly or thirdly you can't look at and seek and, and discover and, and try to deal with things on earth, but the priority needs to be the things of God. When we think about the things of the earth, we should think about them in light of heaven and Jesus, to be filtered through the lens of Jesus and how he wants us to live our lives. Charles Spurgeon wrote some convicting words. Many of you know more about your magazines and novels than what God has written. 
Many of you will read a novel from the beginning to the end, and what, you have, what have you got? A head full of froth when you're done. But you cannot read the Bible? That solid, lasting, substantial, and satisfying food goes uneaten, locked up in the cupboard of neglect, while anything that man writes, a bestseller of the day, you greedily devour. That's a convicting statement. Many Christians know far more about the movies of the day, books, TV shows, what's happening in politics and social media, more than they know their Bibles. They can spend hours binge-watching Netflix, but get little to no time studying their Bibles. John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he writes of a man who looked no way but downward. And this poor man is in the dirt and the filth, and he has this rake, and he's just mucking with this rake to try to unearth some treasure to enrich his life. But you know what? The entire time, right above him, is this bright crown held by Jesus himself, just above him. John Brunden writes this about this character. There stood one over his head with a celestial crown in his hand and offered him that crown for his muckrake. But the man never looked up as he continued gathering to himself the straw, the small sticks, and the dust of the floor. Now whereas it was also shown thee that the man could look no way but downwards, it is to let thee know that earthly things, when they are with power upon men's minds, quite carry their hearts away from God. Then said Christian, O deliver me from this muckrake. We are often like this man that John Bunyan describes. We get so distracted by looking at the things of this earth and staying focused on what we can get here that we miss the things that are so much greater, the things that Jesus has. So we need to look up, set our minds on heavenly things, on the things of Jesus, and not on this earth. But how do we practically do that? Well, one of the things that we need to practically do is be very careful with what we allow into our mind. Be careful what you watch, be careful what you listen to, be careful what you read. Make sure that you daily are setting your minds on the things of God by getting into the Word of God and protecting yourself from the onslaught that we have of the things of this world that are trying to occupy and penetrate our mind. Philippians 4.8 puts it this way, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These are the things that we should be setting our mind upon every day. Things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good and virtuous and praiseworthy. And it's just like setting your mind on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good and virtuous and praiseworthy. So the second way our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is we need a new mind that is set on the things of Christ, not the things of this world. This is a huge battle. And I think the battle is greater in our day and age than ever before with just the fact that we have in our hands smartphones and we have access to so much information that is just trying to bombard our mind and there's this battle for what we're going to fix our mind on. We need to protect our minds. We need to focus on the things of Jesus. 
The third way our life should change since we have been raised with Christ is in verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Once again, Paul reminds us that we died when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We died to our old sinful life. And because of our death to our old life, we now have a new life that's hidden with Christ in God. So the third thing that that needed to change for you and I is we needed new life. And the wonderful news for you and us that the Bible makes very clear is we get that new life the moment that we place our trust in Jesus. For anyone who is in Christ as a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, Paul, he came to understand the wonderful truth of the new life that he had. A man that was hunting down Christians, a man that was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians. He was a very wicked, sinful man. And he discovered the power of new life that comes through the power of the resurrected Jesus that he put his trust in. And he says some very important words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you and I accepted Christ, we died to our old life. And now Christ lives in us. And the life that we now live, it should be no longer for our flesh. It should now be for Jesus. That's where Paul came to. You know, there's a change. I used to live for all these wrong things, all these things that are opposed to God, but now that Christ and the power of the resurrection live in me, I live a different life that lives for Him. You know, sometimes it's said of someone, music is his life, or sports is his life, or video games are his life, or he lives for his work. Now, with each one of those statements, what we're declaring is that that is what the person lives for. That is what is most important to them. You see, the reason why people say sports are his life is because as they look at that person's life, they see their life is consumed with sports. They're always watching sports. They're always going to sporting events. They're always listening to sports radio. They regularly hang out with other people who support their team. They're constantly posting things on social media about their team. They buy the jerseys of their team and they proudly wear that around to support and promote and talk about. And so it's pretty evident by the way they live that sports is their life. Now when people look at your life as a Christian, would they say of you, Jesus is your life? Does the way in which you live lead people to the conclusion, Jesus is your life? Does what you post on social media lead people to the conclusion, Jesus is your life? Does what you watch and listen to lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? Does who you spend time with lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? Does how you spend your time lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? is your life. You look at the life of Paul, and I think you could definitely conclude, hey, by looking at his life and who he spends time with and what he does with his life, it's clear Jesus is his life. But the question I want you to ask yourself, 
is when people look at your life, would they say, Jesus is your life? Are you living in such a way that it's clear that Jesus is the one you're living for? Now, I'm sure that if the person only saw you on Sunday morning, only saw you on church times, uh, they might conclude, oh, Jesus is their life. Look at them worship Jesus. Look at them set aside time for Jesus. Look at them talk about Jesus. But you know, would they come to the same conclusion if they looked at your life the rest of the week? Would they come to the same conclusion if they looked at your marriage? They looked at your parenting? They looked at your relationships? Would they come to the same conclusion if they looked at how you were at work or at school? Would they conclude Jesus is your life by looking at what you post on social media? If the answer is no in any of those areas, we need to recognize those areas need to change. We should desire that in every area of our life, when people look at that area, they could say this person follows Jesus and it's evident by how they live, by how they speak, by what they do. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because Jesus died for us, and we died to our old life when we accepted him, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. Again, so the third way that our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is we need a new life that lives for Christ, not for the things of this world. You know, we are bombarded with temptations to live for this world every single day. But we need to understand living for this world, it's fleeting, it's empty, it has no eternal value to it at all. If you want to live for what truly matters, if you want to live for something that has eternal weight and impact to it, then you need to live for Jesus. The fourth and final way that our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is in verse 4, and it says this, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now it's interesting, in the first three things that Paul has shared with us, he's been kind of telling us to look back. Look back on the resurrection and the death and the ascension of Jesus and recognize as we look back, that truth, that power, that event has a power to change the present. So we remember the past and there should be a change in the present in our life because we have put our trust in what Jesus has done in the past. But now Paul in verse 4 says, hey, there's a connection to the resurrection power of Jesus that's also in the future. So yes, I want you to remember the past so it impacts the present, but I also want you to look to the future and allow that to impact the present as well because the resurrection of Jesus brings something in the future that we're awaiting to have happen. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven. And the Bible makes very clear that one day He is going to come back to this earth a second time, which is what we refer to as the second coming. And when Jesus comes a second time, guess what? He's not going to come alone. He's going to bring with him those who have died, trusting in Jesus, and those that he had raptured who had trusted in him as well. That's why Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, speaking of a period of the second coming, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Now, when Paul says you also, he's writing to believers. So he's speaking about you also, those of you who put your trust in Jesus, you will appear with Jesus. But notice how you're going to appear. In glory. And those two words are very important because when Jesus went to heaven, guess what he received? A new glorified body. And when you and I die, we receive a new glorified body. Or if we're part of that group that is still alive and Jesus comes and raptures us to himself, we still receive that new glorified body. And so when we appear with Jesus at his second coming, we will appear in glory in that new glorified body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able to even subdue all things to Himself. When you and I accepted Jesus Christ, our our citizenship changed. We went from citizens of earth to citizens of heaven. And now because of that change in citizenship, we're also getting a body that can live in heaven because we have bodies that are are capable of living for a time here on earth, but we don't have bodies that will live eternally in heaven. And so we're going to get this new glorified body, just like Jesus got that. And we're eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting for Jesus' return, but also eagerly waiting for the fact that we're going to get this new glorified body and we're going to get to go and be with Jesus in heaven. And this truth is the reason for the fourth change that we should have after accepting Jesus. And that fourth change is there's a new hope. You know, before accepting Christ, you really are hopeless. You know, this world is hopeless. There's not really much hope in anything, but yet we have great hope. I mentioned many times in the past, the word hope means a confident expectation of coming good. And the hope that we have, the confident expectation of good that's coming to us, is that we are going to be going to heaven in these new glorified bodies to be with God forever. Now, heaven's an amazing place. The Bible says there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more sadness. But something else that that makes heaven so amazing are the bodies that we'll have there that have no more disease, that have no more suffering. There's no more blood pressure issues. There's no more cancer issues. There's no more aches and pains. We get to trade in these feeble bodies for amazing upgrades. We get a glorified body that's never going to have any of the problems that our bodies here on earth do. And we get to keep that body forever. Now the hope that Jesus is going to return and the hope that we're going to live with Him in heaven, it should impact what we seek. It should impact what we set our mind on. And it should impact what we live for here on this earth. You see, since we are citizens of heaven... Since that now is our true home, the Bible says we're just pilgrims passing through on this earth. Heaven is now our ultimate home. We should be spending our time here living for there. We should be spending our time here with a focus on our real, ultimate, eternal destination. Seeking the things of heaven, setting our mind on the things of heaven, living for the things of heaven right now while we're still on this earth. 
What we do in this life for Jesus has eternal rewards and it has eternal ramifications. And how foolish we are to squander those by just living for ourselves and for the things of this world. Oswald Chambers said this, God nowhere tells us to give up things for the sake of giving them up. He tells us to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, life with Himself. This is such an important concept to understand because I think so often we think, oh, oh, God's just trying to spoil my life. He just wants me to give up this stuff that gives me pleasure, that gives me fun, that gives me enjoyment, that gives me whatever thoughts that you're thinking of. And he's saying, no, I'm asking you to give up something that ultimately in the scale of it all is worthless in compared to what you're going to gain. I'm asking you to give up something for what is truly worth having life with him. One day you're going to stand before Jesus. One day you're going to have to give an account to Him for how you live this life. And if that day was today, would you be happy with the way you've been living? 1 John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. I'm sure all of us as followers of Jesus would want to say, you know, when Jesus returns, I want to be confident in the way I've been living. I want to be unashamed in the way I've been living. But that's only going to happen if we are abiding in Him and living for Him. So the fourth way our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is we need a new hope of our eternity in heaven that impacts our life here on earth. Let the confident expectation of where you're headed impact the way in which you live presently on this earth. Last week we celebrated Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and this week I want you to know your connection to the death, to the resurrection, to the ascension, and to the second coming of Jesus. And it should change us in four important ways. It should give us new direction that seeks the things of Christ, not the things of this world. It should give us a new mind that is set on the things of Christ, not the things of this world. It should give us a new life that lives for Christ, not the things of this world. And it should give us a new hope of our eternity in heaven that impacts our life here on this earth. The resurrection of Jesus shouldn't just be something that we celebrate once a year at church on Sunday, that we celebrate through songs of worship, that we celebrate through communion. It should be something that we celebrate with a changed life. That's the way that we're going to bring the most honor and glory to God. Not just singing songs to Him, but allowing our lives to change to become more like Him. Let's pray.